0: Welcome to OVS Orbit, the podcast for OpenVSWitch users and developers. This episode is an interview that I conducted with Volvio Riso way back at the end of February when he visited the Bay Area to speak at the IoVisor Summit in Mountain View. He kindly agreed to talk to me the day after the summit when he came to VMware to talk to some developers about how to collaborate regarding IoVisor. So before we really jump into the interview, I want to add a little bit about how podcasting works. So i listen to a lot of podcasts where people talk about um, how they need donations and how it's expensive to run and and things like that. And honestly, I just don't understand it. Um, Podcasting doesn't cost very much. There's kind of two components to it. First, there's the cost of actually recording the interviews. And this is where you can spend a little bit of money. Um, on recording equipment, I ended up investing in some very nice uh, recording equipment. That's it's a multi-track recorder. It records to SD cards. It can take a, a flexible number of high-quality microphones and and so on. Um, but that's a fixed cost. You spend five hundred dollars or um, much less. You can spend a hundred dollars, or you can even just use your uh, your phone to record. Um, but once you've got it, you you don't really need to get more. So I, I don't know why people would need a lot of money for that. Then there's sort of the recurring costs of, uh, of hosting. And hosting a podcast is not expensive. It's a matter of hosting uh, static web pages, static files on a website. And that's a problem that's been solved. You can pay uh, nothing for it, or you can pay some uh, minimal amount of money for it. Um, I personally use of hosting uh, provider that I've used for other stuff for 15 years, and it, it doesn't cost me any more to uh, to host the podcast. So, uh, frankly, when I hear people begging for money for these things, I'm really puzzled. Um, maybe for the ones where it's clearly somebody's full time job and they've uh, dedicated all their time to it, yeah, they need to live. But I, <laughs> it, it, I, I seem to hear this on every podcast, um, and the advertising that goes along with it and and so on. And it's, it's really puzzling anyway, um, on to the interview.
1: So you're asking questions, and I have to answer.
0: Well, uh, that's usually the way I do it. But if if you'd prefer to just start talking, that that works too. Uh, it's not a. Um, it, this isn't a interrogation. It's it's just a it's just a discussion. <laughs> I, I like
1: to be on the other side. Oh, well, let's Usually see. Usually, the you, professor you're asking questions to the students. Well,
0: well, gosh, <laughs> if, if you want to ask the questions, then I'm going to have a hard time telling you about what you worked on. But we, we could try it if, <laughs> if, if you want. It's okay, it's OK. All right. OK. So uh, today, I'm, I'm here with uh, Fulvio Riso from Politecnico di Torino in Italy. Uh, and uh, Fulvio focuses on high speed uh, network packet processing and uh, yesterday he presented at the iovisor summit in mountain view and we're going to uh, talk a little bit about uh, what he and his uh, students have uh, been uh, working on with iovisor and maybe a couple other things Uh, do you want to say a little bit more about yourself before we really jump into it
1: oh yeah Um, i come from a little town in uh, in italy uh, little town in the industrial town of uh, Italy so it's uh, home of uh, uh, Fiat and uh, maybe somebody else knows for the Juventus soccer team and um, but anyway uh, we have a strong uh, technical University um, which a strong background in networking we uh, work quite a lot in networking also not in the networking the traditional sense, uh, so just Transform uh, transporting bit. So, we always uh, um, worked in tra- trying to uh, transform bit, and this is uh, why we had a long-term collaboration with Cisco in in order to make a packet processing. So we define the languages for flexible packet processing, uh, well beyond P4 that was not that successful. But anyway and uh, we define a virtual machine uh, well before i visor and again all the other things that are happening right now. Um so that's basically our background in our our group. Wow, it sounds uh, uh, quite a bit uh, ahead of the the industry
0: in in general. Uh that that's pretty exciting. Uh yeah, d- do you find yourself pointing to
1: these things and saying, "Well, I did that first? Yeah. Uh sometimes, yes, but uh it's uh, I mean, I, I learned quite a lot from the U.S. way of uh, working, and uh, they told me that uh, they teach, taught me that uh, execution comes first, so the idea is nice, but then you have to make something happen, and uh, definitely uh, the U.S. are much better in that respect. So I said, okay, I hadn't had a nice idea before, I published the paper, but there are other guys that are better than me.
0: Well, probably the the bit from Silicon Valley that you left out is you
1: didn't figure out how to make a lot of money out of it. I'm not that interested in money, so... <laughs> 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 I was impressed by NYSEERA, uh, but anyway... Yeah, I, we, we did okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I think so. So, before we really jump into
0: your research, I wanted to say a few words about this upcoming IEEE workshop that you're uh,
1: organizing in, in Italy. Yes. Um, Yeah, um, we recognize that right now network softwareization is uh, a trend that uh, cannot be stopped. Um, Also, we can see a lot of fragmentation in uh, uh, how people try to make software for networking, or networking at large. So networking means not just wiring, but also computing uh, inside the network, which means for computing and uh, all that stuff. So we would like to bring people that is working on this kind of uh, area in order to share knowledge and idea and possibly to make some more uh, collaboration between different communities. Uh, So for instance, uh, maybe OpenStack guys are not talking to uh, Mesos and I mean, there are a lot of uh, uh, different communities that are working uh, alone that should be brought together in order to create a service for a telco provider. I, I think telcos are very interested in this, but they have a strong requirement in terms of security and uh, also legislation, so uh, we need to converge on, on that. So that's the idea of, uh, of the workshop, and uh, um, the, 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 the one of the constraints that we have is, uh, uh, software must be really running and released, not just papers, not just ideas, but uh, ideas with something that works uh, in the IETF style.
0: So, uh, if I if I understand right, it's not just about the software working and being released; it, it actually has to be open source software as well.
1: Yes, it does, because uh, telcos are saying uh, I don't want to become slave of another company. So um, they learn quite a, a lot from the past when there was basically one source of networking equipment and they say, okay, fine. I don't want to be slave of now of, of a software vendor. So open source uh, is uh, very, very important right now. So
0: I've I've heard I haven't worked with telcos much, but uh, when I talk to people who uh, work with them, they tell me that the the telcos are uh, a very picky about uh, what what they what they want, in, in the sense that they all have their own very specialized requirements that are different from the other telcos. Uh, is is open source going to uh, is, is it going to be I don't know special cased enough uh,
1: for for what they're they're looking for? Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, d- My feeling is that uh, they would like to share the cost of uh, the development of the base infrastructure. And then services on top of that infrastructure can be a battlefield between one telco and the other. So for sure uh, each telco has its own uh, um, business case and its own requirement, but uh, the cost of developing the infrastructure is so high that they are willing to share that. that
0: makes sense. So it's more uh, com- compete on the particular services, but uh, build up a common infrastructure that, uh, that that everyone can can share in. Yes. I understand. Okay, so this is the IEEE workshop on open source software networking, OSSN. And uh, I believe the uh, submission deadline is March 10th, which is coming up uh, really soon. So yeah. it's uh, probably too late if you, if you haven't uh, already started but it's, it's taking place uh, July 3rd uh, in Bologna? Yeah, nice city. Ah, okay, I, I haven't been there. Uh, I'm uh, on the program committee, and maybe I'll be able to get uh, a VMware to sponsor me to, uh, to go to it. Uh, that, that would be uh, I- exciting.
1: Looking forward to see there.
0: And I, I saw on the website that there's, uh, it, it actually says July 3rd through 7th. Are, is there a, a bunch of uh, associated
1: uh, workshops or conferences uh, going on? Yes, uh, this workshop, or SSN, has been uh, um, um, proposed in conjunction with the Netsoft, which is the main conference. Net, Netsoft stands for network softwareization. Uh, so absolutely, the, the objective of the workshop uh, um, is absolutely in line with network softwareization. We added this keyword of open source, open source, open source. Gotcha.
0: All right. Well, uh, I'll I'll look forward to, uh, to to reading the and reviewing the, the papers uh, f- for that in uh, probably uh, just uh, sometime next month. Yep. Uh, all right. So, uh, what you were talking about uh, yesterday at the Iovisor Summit was something that you called the I/O modules for Iovisor, and uh, I, I think that probably uh, most of the people listening don't have too much idea of what Iovisor is uh, uh, to begin with. Um, it's, my understanding of IOvisor is that it's some, uh, some software that supports and surrounds uh, BPF, which in turn is the abstract machine or the, the virtual machine that Linux allows user space uh, to, uh, to install programs and, and respond, to, uh, respond to events. Um, is, that, is that the way you think of it? And uh, am I getting it more or less right?
1: Yes, I, I completely agree, um, and um, I, I feel that uh, w- when you say BPF, uh, um, maybe we're we're giving a misleading perception of what in fact a is because I, BPF was originated uh, thirty years ago for packet filtering, and so people tend to associate the BPF uh, uh, to a uh, something that is related to networking. In fact, BPF right now, or IOvisor is much, much more than working. It's a sort of hook uh, in, the, in the Linux kernel where you can inject arbitrary code, or at least arbitrary code, because, of course, safety is important, so you can do whatever you want. But it stays in the kernel, and it can intercept uh, any kind of events. So potentially, you can even intercept events like uh, writing uh, to disk. So. Uh, an application writes to disk, you intercept that event and you transform that write to disk into write to network, something like that. So it's it's very, very powerful in order to um, allow you to to do packet or data manipulation in the kernel. So it's much more than networking. Also, we are working (laughs) in (laughs) networking.
0: I was really impressed yesterday when uh, in the morning, I think it was Brendan Gregg who showed a diagram of the entire Linux kernel. And showed uh, how there are, are, are several different utilities that come with IOVISOR that can uh, instrument or, or work with uh, e- each of those pieces. It, it looks like people have built up a lot of infrastructure around it.
1: Yes, um, th- that's probably the mostly used uh, use case for IOVISOR. So monitoring, uh, monitor at large, so monitoring generic events like, uh, in fact, Write disk uh, events, uh, system calls, and so on. We're adding the idea of networking. So, in, in our research group, uh, we're working on uh, building network functions. Uh, traditional, let's say, traditional function like a NAT or router or a switch or acp but completely injectable in the kernel. So you can change the behavior of your uh, kernel dynamically. Um, next step could be, uh, to do something even more than networking. So inject code that does something, not just that monitors or does networking, but, uh, probably we need some more time in order to reach the maturity we need in order to reach that kind of objective. Okay. You, you call the, uh, this,
0: uh, this work IO modules. Uh, so I, I wasn't quite sure if I understood the full context is an I.O. module, is that a term that you came up with, or are you building on something that that already existed?
1: Okay, so probably there is uh, a little bit of uh, uh, confusion in terms of uh, the words we're using. So the technology, the basic technology, is the virtual machine and is the extended BPF. Right. But then the extended BPF is probably difficult to understand and to market. So people say, okay, let's call it I.O. Visor, Let's put the BPF uh, in, inside, the, uh, sorry, together with the uh, tools that are used to create this code because, of, of course, nobody wants to write assembly uh, directly. So that becomes the IO Visor technology. And then how do you call the program you're creating? Okay, we call it IO Module because it's a, a, a module that works for IO Visor. So it's just a way to... Call it uh, so the IO models is just the program that works uh, in the in the Ah, oh, Okay,
0: okay so, so I so I understood the uh, the technical term, and I didn't know the marketing term. So yeah, that, that was what I was. That, that's missing. my perception. Uh, that that, that makes sense. <laughs> so. Uh, you you created these uh, modules that do traditional networking functions. So the Linux kernel already has, of course, a lot of bits that do traditional networking functions. What's the uh, what's the reason for doing it from uh, from BPF or from an IO module instead?
1: Uh, to me, what is really important is that uh, IO modules are directly injectable, so you can change the behavior of your system by just by pushing down the code into the kernel. So you don't need uh, additional uh, uh, tools in user space or to configure in different ways, uh, of course, because there are different tools, IP tables and uh, other system uh, uh, tools. So you can just have a kernel vanilla, and then you push the modules you want, and the the, the kernel starts changing the behavior according to the service chain you're creating. Uh, the second advantage that I can see is that um, potentially, although it's not completed there yet, uh, you can inject uh, the IO modules at different layers, at different levels in the kernel. So either in the kernel, the traditional kernel, or even in the, in the network interface driver. So you can get access to the packet as early as they're coming into your system, and this increases the performance of your system of one order of magnitude, which in some kind of environment is is very important. And finally, the third is uh, uh, related to our use case. We are working mainly with telcos operators, and telcos operators have a, a very heterogeneous environment. So when they inject the code, they would like to inject a sort of byte code and not, not code because the platform they have uh, uh, available may be an ARM, a, a MIPS, an Intel, whatever, and they don't want to care. So they, they say, I would like to, ana- to, to install a NAT there. That's it. That's the byte code and I'm sure that works. So for me, the portability guaranteed by the eBPF virtual machine is, is very important probably is not so important in the data center environment, for me is very important. Hmm, that's
0: that's interesting. Uh, I,
1: I guess I hadn't
0: really understood until now that, that BPF was considered more portable than say uh, native code written in C. Do you, th- do you, do you think
1: that that's generally true? Uh, yes, it's generally true because the BPF looks like Java byte code. So at the end, you need a virtual machine that emulates that kind of virtual processor or virtual hardware platform that you have. Uh, so the Java bytecode code is portable and so also the, the, the BPF byte code.
0: Okay, that, that makes sense. So you talked about uh, uh, putting these uh, together in, in chains. So uh, how how does that that work out with uh, w- with with ILvisor? You're you're talking about service function chaining from uh, from a network interface to to, to something else.
1: Yes, uh, service function chaining is definitely one of the top interests in our in our case in our studies. Um, service function chaining, which is uh, not just a chain, is a sort of graph. Uh, so. Uh, Of course, it's very important for us to have a a LAN emulation, so something that emulates a bridge, and the bridge can be attached to different services, maybe the DHCP, but for us it's very important to have maybe a storage server attached to the LAN in order to have provide the user a storage service in the in the residential gateway of course the storage server cannot be done with bpf but still the bpf can provide you the technology the basic technology the stitching the service chaining in order to to provide a way to deliver traffic to the different services
0: uh, maybe it would help to, uh, to to talk through, say, one of the examples that you went through uh, yesterday. You, you, you showed some fairly complex chains or, or, or graphs that accomplished uh, uh, different things. Do you want to, to
1: talk through one of those? Uh, yes, uh, I don't think it's so so complex. It's so complex when you try to to to, to split the function that you are getting in different models. So uh, the, the, the service change I presented is really uh, the exact the same service that we get from the uh, residential gateway at home. So the traffic goes into a switch, a bridge, and uh, attached to this bridge there is a DHCP that gives you the IP address when you connect to the, 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 the device. And then you have a, a, a router that sends the traffic toward the internet, the traffic has to go outside your uh, home, and then the traffic goes to a net, because of course you have uh, uh, um, uh, private addresses, and maybe you may need some security stuff, so a a little bit of DPI in order to check uh, for intrusion or, or something like that. So, The service looks complex when you Make a picture of all those models together, but in fact, it's exactly the same as we expect from our gate, uh, own gateway that we bought at the supermarket. The advantage in our case, making this kind of service with Iovisor, is that this kind of service is completely flexible. So we have a prototype uh, in uh, in our lab uh of a home gateway that uh, is right now configured exactly the, like that but if i change the service chaining and i change the network function it becomes an access point that can be used in a public uh, hot spot so it redirects the traffic to a captive portal and blah blah and everything can be done automatically and dynamically so you can reconfigure uh, the the home gateway or the box that is, is no longer a home gateway is a box a programmable box based on the service you you would like to to get out of it. So, so how do, how do you go about that uh, re-
0: reconfiguration? Is that with the standard tools that, that come with BCC or, or
1: IOvisor? Uh Yes, reconfiguration means using uh, um, currently. Mostly Hover, which is the uh, web service that has been developed within the iovisor community, in order to uh, inject the code into the kernel through a web uh, classical REST interface. Uh, so we're using mostly those tools uh, in our lab. We we have an extension that allows, in fact, to mix different kind of network function using different technologies because you know sometimes iovisor cannot be used uh, for high-level services, so we can create a service chain that uh, has some IO, vi- IO modules for some portion of the service, uh, while is using Docker or uh, uh, VMs for other services that are maybe cannot be implemented right now in in IO. So we can create everything dynamically. Uh, for uh, the io part, we use Hover and uh, always machinery with BCC and so on. So
0: I, I heard about Hover for the first time yesterday, and one of the things that I, I found out yesterday is that there's actually uh, a, a lot of people who are uh, uh, trying uh, uh, different ways to apply IO Visor and uh, apply uh, BPF. And I, I think that a, a lot of them hadn't really talked to each other that much before. I, I think it was valuable to get everybody in the same room. So. Uh, Given that I, I hadn't really heard of about Hover, uh, could could you say a little bit more about it? It sounds like it has a, a northbound interface that's a web service, and southbound it talks to the kernel. Is that
1: right? Uh, yes. Uh, that's basically the objective of Hover. So, uh, exporting a REST interface um, where it can accept I/O modules. so a bunch of... C code that can be uh, transformed into uh, running code, EBPF running code. And then it enables to create multiple IO modules or instantiate multiple IO modules and connect to each other. So for instance, the router that is connected to ANAT and so on. So it provides a very high level uh, interface for doing that and then in addition it provides also some helpers so for instance to allow one io module to say send to port uh, x uh, where uh, is uh, the the nut is connected or something like that so in order to isolate uh, um, some difficulties some tricky point that are still uh, not so clear in the plain uh, bcc programming so it creates new helpers uh, that can be mapped in different helpers according to the specific implementation of uh, the BPF that you're you're gonna use. So uh, also, it's not that mature yet. Uh, still, is one step forward in order to create a services with IOModules. And then, at a higher level, there's presumably some controller
0: that's uh, telling hover what to do. What do people usually do for that?
1: Uh, no, that uh, doesn't exist yet, ah, so, okay. <laughs> so you have to uh, use the, the REST API, I mean, the, the traditional way. Um, recently, we implemented a, uh, an extension of Hover uh, that is really, in fact, like a controller, so we implemented the, the, the s- slow, fast path um, separation in, uh, in IO-Visor visor was born only with the fast path in mind, and for that uh, we extended uh, uh, Hoover in order to talk to the, an external controller. So the external controller is able to control the IO module through Hoover, an extension of Hoover, and uh, send commands and receive packets in order to process the the in the slow path. But this still is a, a, a little prototype. Uh, we show he just that yesterday, and uh, now we have to sync with the rest of the community in order to um, move our modification in the best place for iovisor. Right now, we kept all our modification in our local project at the uh, university, uh, but this is uh, a general value for the iovisor project, so we, we need to move those patches and those uh, uh, new features in uh, in a better place,
0: right? And and one of the reasons you're uh, here talking to me today is so that you can uh, uh, talk to some of the people are, are around here to to figure out whether it makes sense to to work together on, on any of this.
1: Yes, absolutely. Especially if you're thinking about uh, uh, creating a uh, let's say data center wide uh, service. So if you're addressing all the, only the problem of a single server server. Okay, that's simpler. But uh, if you would like to create a distributed server, uh, distributed service uh, across different services, you have to come out with, uh, with a. I don't want to call it standard, but at least uh, something that is shared between uh, all the members of the community, and then keep, can be used uh, among different projects. So uh, we have to discuss our implementation, and our proposal, and come up with uh, an API that is shared between all the communities, so that everybody can use it. Right,
0: that, that makes a lot of sense. Whenever you go b- beyond a single machine, it's much more important to agree on, on what we're all talking yeah. about. So it, it looked to me like the, the sort of model uh, you, you were uh, describing is fairly close to uh, the way I think of Open vSwitch and, and OpenFlow, although the details are different. You have a kernel-based fast path. And that uh, sometimes uh, needs to talk to a user space-based slow path. And sometimes that user space-based slow path needs to talk to a, a machine located uh, elsewhere over a, a, a network protocol where, you know, in the OVS case, we'd use OpenFlow. In uh, the, the the Hover or IOvisor case, that protocol is yet to be determined. Maybe it's, uh, uh, maybe it's a, a REST protocol. Do you see a, an analogy
1: there? Uh, Yes, definitely. Uh, In fact, our work was definitely inspired by the current uh, architecture of uh, OVS OpenFlow. So we have exactly the same component. So a data center, a local controller, which is equivalent to OVSD, um, OpenViewSwitchD, how it is called, uh, that stays in the the, the user space, uh, and then uh, an external controller that can be data center-wide controller. Uh, The biggest problem is uh, how to uh, connect with the external controller. In fact, yesterday uh, I mentioned also the idea of uh, making an implementation of uh, that in uh, an existing SDN controller like Onos, uh, in which we have a lot of expertise. Um, Nice uh, um, because it allows, potentially, it could allow to use IOvisor and IO Modus within a biggest framework of SDN networks, uh, but uh, I don't know if it is the right move right now because it means that people need to familiarize with a, another yet another software, which is not simpler. I mean, definitely it's powerful, uh, but it's another uh, learning step uh, that you have to carry on in order to to reach uh, something that that works so uh, n- not clear uh, to me which is the best move uh, at, at this moment so whether to create a, a controller tiny controller for experimental uh, reason in the short term or just move immediately to a bigger and uh, better controller like Onos. A lot of the telcos have already
0: been supporting uh, Onos uh, development, so they they might already have some familiarity uh, there.
1: Uh, yes, uh, we have already uh, two PhD students working hard in Onos, so uh, f- for us it's not a problem for uh, i mean to to integrate our code in onos the problem is just for the rest of the community whether it is familiar with those concepts or or not uh, that that's not clear to me
0: yeah that's a good question my impression of the iovisor community from the summit yesterday is that they tend to be people who are thinking at fairly low infrastructure levels and perhaps not familiar with these uh, um, these big controllers like like onos
1: yeah, uh, I agree with you also because the most part of the work done in IoVisor right now is related to monitoring uh, statistics uh, and probably uh, controllers SDN controllers are not that used in that kind of world. I so think you're right. Yeah.
0: So uh, one of the reasons or the main reason why things drop out of the open vSwitch uh, fast path into the slow path is that the kernel module just isn't smart enough to do a lot of the things that that we want? Uh, BPF is more capable, and so it can do uh, more of the uh, more of the clever thinking in the fast path. So, what are some of the big reasons that you want to drop down into a slow path?
1: Uh, because the fast path is not. Uh, I mean, the, the virtual machine, the BPF virtual machine is not Turing complete. So you cannot uh, do arbitrary processing at the fast path. Um, apart from the fact that it may not have sense to make all the processing the fast path because otherwise it becomes so complex. Uh, I mean, probably it's not a good idea. Um, but in, in any case, the current BPF virtual machine is limited. So you have a limited number of instructions, you have limitation in terms of loops, uh, you have a limitation in terms of memory size. Uh, so it's good for uh, let's say simple programs, which are much more complex than what you can do right now with OpenFlow, but still simple. Uh, so sooner or later you need uh, to do something more complex and you have to do Outside BPF, so that's the reason for moving that computational part on the on the control. Sorry, in the slow path.
0: So, uh, what 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 are some e- examples of things that you've had to drop to a slow path for in what you've been uh, working on uh, so far?
1: Definitely, routing protocols are a slow path. Uh, definitely, uh, tab- uh, table table uh, management. Uh, so, for instance. Uh, uh, cleaning up zombies uh, in case of MAC addresses and so on are uh, a slow path. Um, okay, probably those are the requirements that we have seen so far. Um, because other other things like um, okay, l- l- let's think about a network address translator. Uh, at the beginning, we said okay. When a new session comes, you have to associate a new port in the binding port in the address translator. And this is a, a control path issue. So you should send the packet to the control plane, and then the control plane allocates a, a new port for you, and then you send down the, the, the tuple for with, with the mapping and so on. And then we said, OK, but in this case, we're not using exactly the power of BPF. And, by the way, we're introducing a latency each time a new session is coming in, because it has to be mapped. Uh, The BPF is able to do that. So you can maybe already put a sort of pre-compute number of entries in the tables, in the BPF table, so that when a new session comes, the, the, the BPF is able to associate immediately a new port to the new session. And then maybe it can tell the control plane, oh yeah, I, I, I mapped a new session. Please do whatever you want in order maybe to uh, make statistic or uh, give me another port or so on. So um, currently it's uh, unclear to me uh, the the extent of the intelligence that we should put uh, in the in the data plane and the the extent of the intelligence that we should put in the in the s- slow uh, in the slow path. Um, so I mean I I think that uh, in in the future we will have a more clear idea or how to distinguish uh, the 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 two um, part of the same the same software. But right now, I I don't have a clear answer to your question.
0: Sure. So one of the questions that always seems to come up when I'm working on uh, networking is where do you do ARP? So uh, is that a case where you drop to a a, a slow path? Or can you do that in the fast path in your software routers?
1: Or what's the story there? The story there is uh, currently we do part in the fast path and part in the slow path. So, let's take a router. Uh, When a router receives an ARP request, uh, right now we're handling that ARP request uh, in the fast path. So, the ARP request is coming in for the MAC address of the router, the router gets the ARP request, it transforms the packet into an ARP reply and immediately sends the ARP reply back.
0: I've always found that that's the simpler part.
1: Yeah. The complex part is, uh, what about if the router has to send an ARP request uh, to a host. So in that case, uh, we're handling that part uh, in the slow path. So the um, slow path is generating the ARP request. uh, and then is uh, taking and is queuing all the packets that are coming in and that should be sent to that host, but right now the MAC address of the host is, is unknown. So the packets are sent to the slow path, are queued, and when the rpr comes back from the host, then the packets are dequeued and sent to the, to the fast path. So that basically addresses one of the limitations that we had in the previous prototype of the router, in which basically in that case, uh, we had to kill one data packet uh, and transform that data packet into an ARP request toward the host. But killing an, a traditional packet means that uh, the DCP flow, for instance, had one, one drop, which is not a good idea for modern traffic. Oh, so you, you found that, that switching that part to being in the slow path actually improved performance because you didn't have to drop a packet. You could queue it yeah but i cannot say that improved performance because i mean the it, it improved performance compared to the previous uh version of iovisor so what we can do till one month ago uh, but it was not a good uh a good solution. I'm, I'm helping you with the marketing for that change. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a marketing guy. <laughs> so, but anyway, yeah, <laughs> now
0: we have better performance, yes. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you've talked about how BPF has uh, has some limitations. Have you found that, that those uh, uh, have a, a big effect on how you design
1: things? Or has it been relatively minor? Um, not sure the answer. Uh, So, there are for sure some limitations that are related to the abstraction of the BPF, so the virtual machine, the number of instructions, and so on. And this is by design, so they are there and they are there to stay. The limitations that we found are most important uh, for for us are the limitations that are not written but are there. Uh, because of uh, the verifier. So when you inject the code in the BPF, uh, the verifier has to verify that the code is safe and blah, blah. And the verifier is uh, probably... Uh, something that can be improved in the future. So it has a lot of heuristics also because it has to, to work very fast, uh, has to work in the kernel, so I mean there are a lot of uh, constraints uh, uh, there. But the result is that sometimes you write a, a, a BPF program and it doesn't compile, and you, you have no idea why it doesn't compile. And then you change something very, very minimal, like uh, Inverting the order of two variables and then it compiles, and you see wh- why. Why should I in- invert the order of uh, two variables and, and it compiles? Uh, so the limitation I can see are more limitation due to the um, scarce maturity of of the technology that can be probably overcome in the future. It sounds like it's a little unpredictable whether a particular program will
0: pass the verifier or not
1: yes um that that's one of the biggest problems that we are we are seeing in fact uh, um, we, we are building a team in our university of people that is are writing bpf um io programs and so on and uh, the the biggest thing that we have is that we have uh, already experienced programmers that know how to deal with that problem problem so when a new student come and say oh there is a this problem i cannot compile and the other guys more experienced say okay you have to do that <laughs> okay uh, so that that's one of the solutions that uh, we have for sure is not something that uh, um, can work in the long term it, it's also true though that I don't feel that most of the people will uh, write their own code in BPF. Probably most of the people like now uh, will use the BPF so tools that are already provided by other guys. So uh, we have to distinguish between the programmers of BPF and the users of BPF. They are two very different communities and the second uh, is much larger than the first. So even if some limitation in terms of uh, verifier and so on uh, still uh, exist in the future, uh, we we still feel that is not the most important problem that we have. Um, what is more important is to have tools that are uh, uh, powerful and easy to use, in order to reach the other community, the users, not the programmers. That makes sense.
0: It's always a little disappointing if you have uh, the same set of developers and users. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) You should always aim to have more users than developers. So uh, what kind of performance are you getting out of the the system that you built?
1: Okay, performance. Um, I don't think performance is probably the best um, way to measure IoVisor right now um the performance are basically on, on um, um, in line with uh, other let's say competitor technology I, it's, it's not the word that te- the the word uh, the the right term competitor. but i mean other technologies uh, the, the that the get the same thing we, done yes yes so for instance we're getting more or less the same performance than uh, OpenVSwitch switch uh, when we're using IOvisor uh, for uh, just uh, forwarding packets like uh, like a bridge uh, we're getting much better performance in case uh, of a service chain uh, if we compare the, that performance with the traditional way of creating service chain right now which is maybe instantiating multiple docker or vm uh, and chaining one of the other so right now performance in case of every chain are much better because uh, um, everything happens in the kernel in case of uh, io models, so is much is much faster uh, but uh, still, I feel the performance can be improved quite a lot, uh, and uh, I expect uh, new um, new improvement, especially uh, I- in case of uh, um, the X- XDP uh, technology. So, when you are able to intercept the packets uh, uh, directly in the in the network card driver, uh, then at that point, uh, you, you can expect an order of magnitude improvement, which is exactly the same thing, if you think about that, when you compare the performance of vanilla OVS with the performance of uh, OVS vSwitch with DPDK. It's almost one order of magnitude, and, and, but the, the reason is always the same, so we're getting access to the packet much earlier, so we don't have the overhead of the operating system. It, it sounds like this is not primarily a performance story, uh it's always good to to know that
0: uh uh when i talk to dpdk folks it's always a performance story <laughs> because that's that's the whole purpose uh
1: yes um I, I feel we can reach exactly the same level of performance uh, also with uh, uh, IU but personally i wouldn't be impressed uh, by the performance alone, for me, the biggest advantage of IoVisor is uh, this flexibility and dynamicity, so you can change the, the the service on the flight and still get the same performance of having something that is completely uh, fixed uh, set up all right so uh, what what are you looking at
0: next or or what's uh, wh- what are you planning to to do in the future
1: okay so Uh, There are two things. One is uh, based on uh, our will to contribute to the IUvisor community. So we have to contribute in order to make uh, IUvisor better, more stable, more predictable, and more usable. And also this is not probably uh, the objective um, of a university. We feel this is very important anyway, so we will dedicate resources for that task. The other point is, um, Um, how to orchestrate a service that is uh, uh, distributed across multiple devices, which means servers or means uh, uh, device like uh, domestic gateways, uh, residential gateways and so on. So IOvisory is extremely distributed. So uh, tiny programs that can be instantiated multiple times on different servers and made can be coordinated in order to create a a bigger service together. So instead of having a big firewall, you have a tiny firewalls distributed across your architecture. How do you orchestrate those tiny services? How do you optimize the service? Uh, That's a big question from the research point of view. So that's definitely one of the main objectives in the future. Sounds like you have a lot of work to do then. As usual, but... (laughs) (laughs)
0: So, uh, we've gone through a a lot of things here. Uh, Do you want to add anything else before we finish up?
1: Uh, No. I mean, just uh, uh, sort of hope uh, that the IoVisor community brings together more people and uh, shares more efforts. Uh, So, um, I I feel that the IoVisor community is a little bit uh, uh, too much tied to companies, and big companies by the way, um, has a little presence in the universities, so in students. Um, So to me this looks like a a mistake, because new students will will be the one that will bring a technology to the companies in the the, the near future. So for me, two things. Uh, My hope is to have a bigger and better Iovizor community, uh, and the second, uh, to push more for uh, dissemination in the scientific environment, uh, which is being a little bit probably, um, not, I don't want to say, but probably, it was not considered that much uh, in the past. Okay, I think we can all hope for that. All right, uh, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you.
0: OVS Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons Unported 3.0 license. The intro and bumper music in this episode is excerpted from Electro Deluxe by My Free Mickey and the outro from Girls Like You by Stefan Kartenberg, both under the Creative Commons Attribution Unported 3.0 license. For more episodes of OVS Orbit, visit OVSOrbit.org. Or for more information about OpenVSwitch, visit OpenVSwitch.org.